2: Afternoon, welcome to the show. If ever there was an afternoon to settle down, put the kettle on, have a cup of coffee or tea and stay with us on LMFM Radio. It's today, isn't it? Absolutely awful out there. It really is. I say it again, you wouldn't put a milk bottle out. Anyway, welcome to the show. Lots of chat over the next couple of hours. And my first guest is standing by and before I say hello to her, let me tell you a little story of how she came to me. Late last week, my son Jared arrived in the house uh, with an open envelope and said to me, I think this is for you. Uh, This arrived to his house, right to his house. And he handed it to me and there was this delightful little book in it called Does My Son Take Sugar? And to be honest with you, on the evening it was, I started reading the book and I read it cover to cover that evening. And I said, got to talk to this woman because she has a remarkable story. And she's waiting to tell you. Edna Ring, good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jerry. How are you? Lovely to talk to you.
2: And you too. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Let's go back to the early 80s. And I'm well familiar with it at my age and what Ireland was like at that stage. And you're working in Dr Kelly's uh, surgery in Westport in County Mayo as his medical secretary. Yes.
3: Yes, all Uh, going well. All going well,
2: yeah, yeah, 18, go on, go ahead,
4: yeah.
3: And I was dating my boyfriend at the time, back in the 80s, and if anyone of my era is listening, back in the 80s, we just all hoped that, you know, we wouldn't find out we were pregnant, basically.
5: Mm.
3: And uh, I was going out with my boyfriend for about two years, and I discovered I was pregnant, and that's when the bomb chill went off, Jerry.
2: mm It certainly did. And uh, your poor mum at that stage, she wasn't long bereaved. Your dad had died.
3: My dad had died just six months before that and telling my mum at the best of times in the 80s would have been difficult, but I really shattered her world. And like in the 80s, the only solution, well, not the only, but basically what everyone really did was they moved away for a couple of months for the confinement and adoption seemed to be the answer.
2: Mm. And and you, that's exactly what happened to you. And I, you said it difficult with your mum. It was your older sister. It was that actually told her, wasn't it? At the time, it yes. was. Yeah. Yes.
3: Just October weekend, mm. and you know we just felt well, mum is the first person that needs to be told. But you know, I knew I was going to upset her greatly, and it was just the times. You know, Jerry, it came yep. to a lot of houses, and uh, people reacted the same way. It was a shame, the secrecy you know, it's just, that's
2: the way it was in the 80s. It certainly was and thank God yeah. it's changed uh, as we sit here today and talk. Now, you were whisked away, because this was the plan. You had to leave home, the pregnancy was leave to be home. concealed, yes?
3: Yes, and I stayed with a very nice family in Limerick. So I left on January 10th and I returned back to my hometown in the middle of June. So for those few months I was away and of course it was the secrecy was the name of the game. and. Because we had no social media or anything like that, uh, people believed the story that I was away in France. That was the story that was concocted. And it's hard to believe now that I never even thought of telling my friends about my pregnancy Mm. because I didn't feel shame at the time. And even in hindsight, it's not what I felt, but it was the secrecy. Mm. You just had to keep it secret for yourself and for your family.
2: Yes, and, and you went to a loving family, you stayed with, I have to say, michael Ann and their children, was it in Limerick, yeah?
3: Yeah, very nice. Mm. They they had adopted a child, uh, and that child was two when I arrived, and then she sent, since went on to have another baby, he was four months. So she wanted to give something back, so she um, was contacted by Cura, and she took me in for the six months.
2: And yeah. of course, you had all your checkups done down there uh, as necessary, and then you go in to have your baby. Where was that? Was that in the in the hospital, in Limerick? Or? The, yes, that was in Limerick. And, and, yeah. and the nuns w- were the people you were dealing with there.
3: Yes. Um, see, this is where I think you know. I often think if adoption was the answer, and a lot of the times people felt it was the answer we were there in our secret gaze just you know just keeping silent and afraid to speak but there was no like humanity there was no kindness I speak in the book about when I went in to have my baby in the middle of the night the next morning like you didn't know what to do all the people in the ward were married mothers and they had their babies and There was nobody to come to me in my innocence to say, you know, would you like to go down and see your baby? Would you like to go down and hold your baby? And although I kind of knew that the answer for me was adoption, not my choice, by any means, not my choice. But two days later, they just said to me, you can go now, your son is gone. And I just turned on my heels, I went in and picked up my little suitcase from my bedroom there. And just walked out and i never like nobody said you know would you like a cup of coffee or nobody was in that system to say let's go down and talk to this lady mm. and in hindsight i didn't feel i was been neglected because i still felt like a really bold child but you know looking back you kind of think you know was there nobody there was there no nurse or no nun or nobody that would just come up and say you know You know, they knew I was feeling bad, but just to come and comfort you, make you a cup of tea. And I just walked out of that hospital with my suitcase and sat in the back of that car with my host family that came to collect me without my baby. I mean, to think now, you know, people talk about, oh, my child is a bit ill and she's been kept in for two days. And people say, oh, you poor thing, you came home without your baby. I came home without my baby and never got my baby. You, you never. I h- mean,
5: it was just, it yeah.
3: was just never. Uh, just there was no help, and yes. that's the sad thing.
2: Yeah, and there was no kindness or thought or anything like that. So you never, you give birth to your son, but you never held him.
3: I did hold him, but my point was, there was nobody there to just reach out, even a nurse or yes. somebody to say, yes, "Would I you?" See. You know, it might be nice yes. to go down to hold your baby. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. and when I came home there that evening, I went up and did a hundred sit-ups in the host family because. You know, in the days, like, we're not all back in the spanks when we have our babies, but in the 80s, you knew somebody had a baby if they had kind of a rotund tummy. You know, mm. that was the result. Now everyone's back in their genes after a week. But my point was, if I came back 10, nobody will know I had a baby. That's so, how my mind was working. Yes. Yeah, so
2: you were <laughs> immediately trying to get back in shape, so to say, that nobody would suspect Anything yes. of you that they would think you were in France where you were supposed to be, I and that you'd come home. Yes. So you you went back home then to Westport. When? How quickly? Uh, three weeks later. Okay, you were back home. And when did you return to work?
3: Uh, probably the following Monday.
2: And Joe, the the, the, the young boy's father, Neil. Neil yes. is his name. Uh, uh, yes. Did you talk to Joe about it when you got back?
3: Yes, You see, the problem with when you look back about adoption and stuff like that, we were together and then the pregnancy happened and then we weren't going to be together. There was going to be no marriage. So then the boyfriend in those situations always are silent because they can't say too much because they're not there. Mm. So, you know what I mean? So it was very hard, even though we were very fond of one another, but we didn't speak like a couple that had just lost a child we didn't know where to go next we couldn't come out and meet and just say oh we're back together again we didn't know what way we were feeling. yes so we always had the contact but a lot of the time in secrecy because again you know it wasn't the best thing to be saying oh here's my boyfriend and nothing mattered or did matter or whatever we were just all over the place mm. But we went back together after a lot of meetings and we got married then in 1991.
2: Yeah, incredible. It, it, you see, there, there, there's a, there's a, let me say, a silver lining to this story. But, but here's yes. the thing. You went back to work. You just picked up where you left off and continued. This little boy was obviously never far from your thoughts.
3: Never far from my thoughts. And I mean, his birthday was such a heartbreak. You know, in May every year, it was just your heart would break. And again, I hadn't told my friends, mm. so I couldn't. I couldn't talk about my son's birthday to anybody really. Yes. You know anybody because I just kept it silent. And my friends say to me, "Why didn't you tell it? You know. But again, it's a secrecy that was so huge. You were afraid. Mm. You didn't even think about telling them. You couldn't. I know well, you no,
2: couldn't. couldn't. I lived through no, he, these
3: times. I know. Lived,
2: yes, I know what you you're know talking. About. Yes, know you know it. Yes, I know it. You know what
5: I mean?
3: Yeah. And normally people say, "Oh, maybe I'll tell her. Or maybe she'd be a good one to tell. Her, or maybe I might." Tell. You just didn't even consider telling anybody. And I told my best friend when my son was eleven years of age.
2: That was the first time. First time. My oh my! No, no. no here's the thing: you marry Joe, and you're with Joe, and you still are. And then you have children uh, other children of your own
3: yes in 1997 on um, the
2: 10th of September we had triplets <laughs> my, oh my, not, yeah, one, yeah. not one not two but three of them arrived yeah, together great. that was a great joy yes. for you I'm yeah, sure great yes. joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah great joy yeah
3: it was fabulous
2: now how and, uh, did you how this is what I'm curious having read the book how did you you know get in touch with Neil or how did that happen that you reconnected and when did it happen
3: well, again, at, at the initial, um, when I went away and all that, of course, I was, again, a secrecy and a little bit of shame and all that. But when I was going to part with them, I asked for a few little things because I think I had the strength to do that because it was for me, but also for him. Mm. So first of all, I wanted him to go to be first in the family. Because a first pregnancy is always more exciting in a family. Mm. You know, Mm. so I just wanted people to say, oh, we call them the O'Malley's. Oh, the O'Malley's have got a baby. Oh, my goodness. So that was the first big news. I wanted it to be big news. I wanted my son to be big news in a new town in Ireland. Mm. Secondly, I wanted him to be in a Catholic family. I don't know why that was, but maybe it was because I was Catholic. And third, Mm. I wanted a picture of my son every year with a little note to see how he was doing. And I got that because I always knew in my heart that the woman that was my, the new mammy to my son was a beautiful woman. I just knew that. Mm. And she wrote to me every year, sent me a picture, and, you know, the usual little bits, you know, what football team he liked and what he was like as a child. And I, I got a picture of how he was. So we had a connection for years. But the only thing, because of the secrecy Act. I couldn't get the letter directly from her, so the nun had to send me on the pictures. Yes. But, of course, that nun did not send me on the pictures. And I would come home. I had to walk a mile out to my house at lunchtime on the day of that birthday and open that door and see a blank mat every year with no letter. And then I had to go and ring that nun and just say, sister, oh, oh I didn't it was, oh yeah it's, has he got a sister has he got his, I think I have a couple of pictures here belong to you and I'd walk out two days later and there'd be still no letter and then I rang one time and I said please this means a lot you know I want this picture I want this letter you know and she said oh, I didn't have any stamps and you kind of think "Yeah, you know it, 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 just the cruelty because I didn't matter I didn't matter to those nuns
2: and did you get them eventually did you get the letters
3: but you know what, you talk to any woman that had an with adoption, if you don't have, like I wanted his picture to see him on his 7th birthday, on his 10th birthday, on his 12th birthday. And that was, my point is the only thing I asked for. But I knew my son's mum had done that. Yes, and that was a sad thing. It's just that they are taking the power again. Oh. And they're going to send the pictures if they feel like sending the Yes, pictures. But yes. she didn't feel like sending the pictures. And that's my point. We had this beautiful woman that was looking after me that felt for me do you know what i mean i know i but know exactly what you a mean the
2: woman in the link in yes. the link with this adoption business just didn't bother yeah, her oh, she just couldn't you know yeah. so that's the sad part so edna eventually you get the pictures you get the letters etc and that continues on the anniversary of the birthday i'll take you yes. up to the 18th of august 2008 that's a day you'll never ever forget
3: yes that's when my son rang my doorbell at 3 p.m and said hi i'm neil
2: And was that out of the blue or did you know that was happening?
3: No, because we have been in contact with Neil's parents all the time. She used to say to me things like, I will tell him you want to see him, but he's in the middle of his studies, you know, right now or he's away right now. So then she eventually gave my mobile to Neil and said, look, your mum is looking for you. At this stage now, Neil would have known our history that we had married and that we had triplets, you know what I mean? So he was he knew the background Mm. as well. So she gave him my mobile, and very kindly of her, she didn't tell me she did that, just in case he didn't ring for a couple of months. But he did ring the week after she gave him the number, and he just rang and said, Hi, this is Neil. And I, you know, you're kind of blown, blown <laughs> away. So he just said, I'd love to come up and see you. And that was on the Thursday, and he came the following week.
2: How was it when you opened that door, that moment?
3: Do you know... I didn't know what to expect, but it was like looking at me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, And the title of the book, uh, Does My Son Take Sugar? That was that came to me in 2008 when I was prepping the house, of course, as if a 24-year-old boy would notice. But I had flowers. I had everything scrubbed and cleaned. I had new pottery mugs, getting the coffee ready. And then I just thought, oh, I must put the milk in the milk jug. And then I thought, oh. I wonder, does, does he take sugar? And I thought, wow, just imagine. I don't know if my son takes sugar. <laughs> and it all stayed with me. So when I was writing the book, that was the title.
2: And he does? He takes one still. One. <laughs> he does <indeed> He <laughs> take <laughs> one. Um, how did your children, your other three children, you know, react. What was that like? And Joe, you know, to meet him as well.
3: Yes, yeah. Well, you see, with the secrecy of adoption, I'm going round for the first couple of years when my children were very small, thinking these children need to know the truth, you know, because... Family is truth. And I just said to Joe one day, we need to tell these children at a nearly enough age about Neil. So we decided we bring them to the cinema so we can hold them the cinema. And we sat around the kitchen table and, you know, had a cup of tea. And I just said, I want to tell you something. So I told them the story in an age-appropriate way. And my younger son, David, said to me, did you keep the receipt, Mum? Can we... we Get him. Can we go back and get him? And I thought, out of the mouth of babes, you know? Yes. And, but it was so lovely to break that ice at the age of 11. So then they knew, you know, that this boy was going to be in their life. So it wasn't like we're telling them the night before that their brother is coming to meet them. Mm. So at this stage, I was the I was still very delicate about the adoption, but I just wanted to get all, all my ducks in a row and just say, OK, we need to work through this process. We need to be truthful and then Neely arrived at the age of 24. And it's funny now, my triplets have just turned 25. Mm. So he came to meet us and I met him on my own first for a couple of hours. But of course, I wanted to explain and, you know, tell him all about adoption and how. And sure, look at 24. So sure, he was kind of, how are you doing? How are things? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. He didn't. He did, I just thought he'd come with a list of questions, mm. you know, in my naivety. And he just said, will we grab a, a pint? <laughs> so we left so he went, you know and he's just such a nice guy you yes. know he's a really nice person and he yes. just said you know should we go for pints and I said okay I said one thing I said if we meet people how would you like to be introduced and he said oh you can call me Neil or you can call me your son whatever suits you so I just knew by meeting him for those first 20 minutes that he was just a really really nice person
2: mm, and that's because of his DNA from yourself and Joe and of course, I have to mention Olivia, his adoptive mother yes, and family, yes. who you get on really well with.
3: Oh, I mean, he lives in the same town as his mum, and when we go down to meet Neil, we're sitting there having the chat for a half an hour, and I know the background. He has said to his mum, oh, Ethan's coming down at three o'clock, and she'll arrive, maybe I can see her passing the kitchen window about four p.m., and she just comes in and just gives me a big hug, and we sit on the couch facing one another chatting and i can see neil in the corner making the coffee and he's just looking and saying "That's
2: that's good mm. it's it's, fan- woman. it's just know. it's just fantastic honestly when you when you read it, the book just the the emotions in the book you know what i mean yes. from despair and fear and secrecy yes. to yes. today look at the extended family you have now
3: yes but you you know <laughs> okay the dna is good Olivia and John are very good, but you have to be very careful in a reunion
1: yeah.
3: because I, I take the temperature from Neil always. So no, if I get a lot of texts from him, I return the text. If he's quiet, I stay back in the background. I don't ring willy-nilly. I just say, hi, would you be free for a chat tonight or tomorrow night? Yes. I don't overstep my mark because even though I'm his mum, I always say I gave him life and Olivia gave him living. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm very conscious that it's his world and I'm going into his world. He has a family where he is, so I am very conscious, you know. So I'm I'm intuitive anyway. Mm. But some people dive in and it's not their fault, they're just just fully emotionally charged. You know what I mean? And they, they want, you know, they want to get to know that person. Yes. And I, I just always kind of hold back ever so slightly.
2: You are so switched on and switched in and clued in and everything, may I say. You really, yeah. really are. Look, I, I, I'll tell you this. It, the, as I said, I got it by accident. I read it in an evening and I'm so delighted to chat to you today. No, I really am. You. I am thank so you. much. Where can this book be got?
3: Well, uh, first of all, can I just say two things? Just for anybody listening, my husband has written his chapter on adoption. And what I find is a lot of men are coming up to my husband now because when, when Joe said to me about writing a chapter and I said, sure, he thought he could write it in about a day. Yeah he he was very emotionally charged when he started to write it and it was cathartic for him to write it and it's very, it's a great understanding for it is, men. It is, it is. Because men are, men are silent because they were out of the picture, rightly or wrongly, but they were out of the
2: picture, you know what I mean? They were, so, and, and I have to say at the end of the book you offer fantastic advice as well. Quickly yes. tell me where it can be got.
3: <laughs> well, if you go on ethnaring.com you'll find me.
2: Okay. It's at the there. Etnaring.com me, yeah. is yes. where the book is. Great. That is the best place and to I get thank it. Thank you very much, Ger. For, no, n- not at all. It was my pleasure to thank bring you your so story much. to our listeners here in the northeast of Ireland. And I'm sure they are as enthralled as I have been listening to oh, you, you. Uh, this afternoon. I wish you Thanks, all George. well. Thank you for Thank joining me. Thank you very me, much. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's the wonderful Etna ring there. During uh, lockdown, especially, swimming became a thing, I have to say to you, here in Ireland. And we featured it here on the show on a number of occasions where women, especially, were taken to the seas, uh, rivers, and lakes as well to go swimming, perhaps for the first time. And it's really become a big, big thing in Ireland, as it is across the British Isles in England. Scotland, Wales and uh, Ireland too. Well, when I tell you my next guests on the show have written books in relation to swimming in fantastic places in England, in Wales and Scotland, and so sure we were the only one left out here in Ireland, and I think the pressure was on them. They had to do it and come up with something, and they have. The book is called The Art of Wild Swimming in Ireland, and it's by Anna Deakin and Vicky Allen, and I have to say, it's a real joy, and both of them join me on late lunch this afternoon, Hello. Hello.
6: Hello. (laughs) Joy to be here.
2: Great to have you both with us. And I'll tell you one thing you must do everything together because you said the hello there completely in sync. (laughs) (laughs)
7: we have spent far too much time on the road together i think It, it looks like
2: it well ladies congratulations and as i said and you do know this anyway it is a huge thing in ireland and it is growing and it's very popular here where we are in the northeast of ireland but i gotta ask you this question how do two ladies from england the uk get so many contributors and so many people involved in a book like this vicky will you take that one
6: Yeah, I'm happy to take it. Um, So, I mean, well, we started off doing one of these for Scotland and um, because we were in sort of in lockdown, not quite in lockdown at the time, but we wanted to do a guidebook that would almost be like the guidebook that we'd love to have in our own pocket, which is by people who know a lot about particular places, the locals. And um, and so we just started to put out feelers, and fortunately, um, Anna's very connected up to the wild swimming community on social media, and just as as well as you know in real life. And uh, we just started to see that there were so many people that could be in such a book. And then we started to look at England and Wales and see the same. And Anna started to notice, particularly with Ireland, she had this, such a group of um, Instagram friends mm. um, that were really inspiring. In pa- fact, possibly more inspiring than anywhere else that we'd really looked at.
2: So both of you then, did both of you come over here and, and experience this for yourselves?
7: We did, yes. We came over um in March this year and um, primarily to come and sort of meet some people, see some places for ourselves and to shoot the cover. But by this point, we'd already spoken to a lot of the people who were going to help us make the book so really we aren't experts in irish swimming at all but what we did was we sourced people who were experts in their own local areas and um so it's been a real joy to meet quite a lot of them um and come over and swim and just witness the amazing irish hospitality and community for ourselves it was just such a joy and we've just been over last week as well um doing a little book launch, Uh, we did a swim in Dublin and we went to Greystones and Just met up with lots of people who came from all over to come and swim with us. It was Mm. great fun.
2: And you know, Anna, uh, I I, page one hundred and thirty three open here because it refers to where you're speaking to me today, here in the northeast. Etno Hanlon from the Cooley Peninsula in the province of Leinster. Here, she covers Giles Key, Templeton Beach, and Carlingford South Pier, which we're so uh, familiar with. And the other one I want to mention is Kira McCormack, who uh, moves south along the coast to Dunany Point. Port Beach and Salterstown all well-known hot spots for swimmers too and I just wanted to give them a shout out today because they're in particularly included in the book uh, from our neck of the woods here um, but to come back to you Vicky for a moment uh, one thing struck me and, and we have a synergy Vicky Allen do you know that you and I have a synergy you might not know about I uh, well I don't know what the synergy well, is well I'm going so to I'm tell quite, you quite
6: excited yeah I'm,
2: go- I'm going to tell you now Lock Mask I started my angling career on the big lakes of ireland of the great lakes many moons ago with a man called oliver hennessy on lock mask and i spent many's and many's a day and week on that lake and you swam there many moons ago
6: yeah so my husband's cousin they actually own a little island there which somehow was um, bought in a kind of deal in a pub one day for not very (laughs) much money and so we'd go there for holidays and um there was one year that i was my my brother died that year and Mm. i was really just so struggling with everything and we'd gone on some various tour meeting lots of people for a holiday and we finally ended up at little mask and it really helped me so much. I just went out and I just swam and I bobbed there. And I remember the skies were quite grey, but I'd look up into them and I'd think, oh, my brother's out there. Yes. And, you know, it's it was a really key part of my mm. swimming sort of journey, as we sometimes call it.
2: Oh, yeah. Up, the Inishglacy, the Shindalas. Oh, my God. All those Martins Island, all those places. I've been all over that lake for years and years. I know it so well. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world, actually. Uh, to experience besides the swimming and fishing and, and everything else but here's the thing back to to you um, Anna the book itself I have to say is very well constructed and, and I want to ask you about this while I have you with me starting with you Anna why wild swim why go out today there's a storm raging here would you go swimming Anna on a day like this
7: well probably not I'm not a big fan of swimming in, in, in big waves okay um, and I think also there's there's a lot of caution that has to be mm. taken when when the weather is wild. And, it, you know, part of the, the joy of swimming um, outdoors is the fact that it is there's a bit of risk involved in that it may not be swimmable. Yes. So you may have to go all the way to a place and then have to go. Yes. <laughs> not swim. Yes. You know, that happened to us. That happened to us actually during this book. We went to find this amazing waterfall and we had quite a long walk into it on St. Patrick's Day and we got there and it was just too, it was unswimmable. It was too wild. So we had to go and it was so disappointing. But you know, yeah. that is the nature of it. Unfortunately, there are definitely days where you have to not.
2: When swim. you can't. But but that's what I'm trying to get yeah. at. The raison the raison d'etre to do this. So there is a little bit of an edge on it. But you, of course, safety is a huge thing. And you mentioned. It. What, what about you, Vicky? What what's your thoughts?
6: Uh, I mean, I'm a bit more of a fan than Anna is Of a bit of a splashy <laughs> wave A bit of a blustery day But I still would be very careful About getting in on a very stormy day I, You know, I and, and also the other thing You have to watch out for when it's raining Is, um, you know, possible sewage outflows Which I mm. think are possibly more common Where we are than um, in... Um, no, we have them know,
2: in, we I don't have, know Oh, I mean, we I, have them too Yeah, we do, we yeah, do I know do. what you're saying They're, they're we,
7: everywhere,
6: yeah. aren't they?
2: They are everywhere, but 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 the, being on the edge, you, you're a bit fond of the, of the rough and tumble, as they say in a rough day. But what do you get from this, ladies? Come on, Anna. What do you? What does this bring to you when you actually go wild swimming? What does it do for you?
7: Well, it's like a kind of instant boost of uh, serotonin and cortisol and all of those really good feel-good hormones um you know the cold waters amazing it's like an anti-inflammatory effect it's really good at sort of helping with anxiety it's a mood lifter i mean going swimming with friends as well it's just that sense of being with other people doing something fun doing something adventurous it doesn't take very long you know it's it's free it's anyone can do it. You know, it's there's so many great things. Mm. It's hard to list them all.
2: I know. And, and you know, the book that you do go through, you have 16 reasons to swim there. Should there's so many of them? We'd be here talking for the, about them for the yeah. afternoon. You cover safety. Of course, the distinction uh, between Anna, the sea, the lakes and the rivers. That's very important. Tide, you know, tides and rivers, tides in the sea, lakes. They're different environments, but you cover this so well.
7: Well, we wanted to bring in experts, Irish experts, um, to talk to us about each different body of water and the hazards uh, to watch out for within them. Because, you know, if we're going to send people off wild swimming, we want to them send them off as safely as absolutely possible. And there's never anywhere completely safe because it's wild. This is we know this. Mm. But what we've done is we've found amazing people who are, you know, like there's a guy called Mick in Dublin who's a swim coach and he's really well versed in all the tides. So he talks to us about swimming safely in the sea. And there's Pete Conroy who works with the fire service um, doing rescues in rivers and things like that. So he's a a, a real expert on river safety. So that's, that's how we've tackled it. So rather than us saying what our safety advice is. We've gone to real experts in Ireland yeah. and talked to them about how to swim safely in Irish water.
2: And, and you know, another aspect I love of this, you talk about other ways that this is beneficial, i.e. the charity aspect of things, that where people, you know, do things in our waterways to raise uh, money. And I, I must mention uh, one I'm particularly associated with, it's called the dip in the nip, and it happens once a year yeah. for cancer research and care. And it's just... A phenomenal event that I'm privileged to be invited along to uh, each year and and support. And, you know, that's just an example that I can think of. But there are many ways, aren't there?
7: There are. and and, I mean, we've really seen this in Ireland, that the sense of huge community group swims is incredible. And Mm -hmm. it's something that we have been... So inspired by, we do some stuff like that here in the UK, but we have really seen such a, you know, really regular great group swims going on, raising money for all sorts of things. We were talking to someone just last week about um, a vampire swim, uh, on Halloween where people were swimming to raise money for the blood bikes. Mm. Um, but that, and everyone was dressed up as vampires. That's yes. so fun. And there was a pink swim this week for breast cancer awareness. Mm. Mm. Loads of women dressed in pink. And Ka- Kiara McCormack, who you mentioned at the beginning, yes.
5: she,
7: does, she does amazing things for International Women's Day with um, Women's Aid. We do a similar one here. And we've worked with her, um, talking to her about that as well. So, you know, there's all sorts of people organizing amazing group swims for charity. It's it's a real thing. Yeah. And I yeah, like- do it best.
6: And it's not just individuals as well. I mean, so it's not just groups, it's individuals as well. Like mm. we've got Paddy in the book, who I, I assume is pretty famous because he did his 315 swims around Ireland. And um, he and uh, he's uh, something like 80 something years old. And he, he gives us all his advice as well on, you know, how to swim and uh, what to, you know, almost what to take with you, which is a lot of towels if you're going to go on a a big
2: trip like that. <laughs> yeah, the, he's famous. The length breath of the country from Donegal is right. He set off all around the country and he achieved so much. And what a, what a great man uh, for his age, I have to say. The other thing is you cover off, you know, f- you didn't forget the food and, and nutrition in it either. Uh, what to wear? Uh, of course, different seasons. The sea is freezing at times. It, there's a little bit of warmth. And at other times, oh, I shudder when all your little bits shrink and you go in and your breath is taken away, Vicky.
6: Yes. Yeah, there is all that. Yeah. I mean, we, um, I mean, one of the things that we love actually is all that kind of after swim stuff as well about warming up. You know, Mm. I think that's the other thing is that, that, you know, one of the things about the whole swim thing is like, most of us are a bit nervous when we get go in, and we, and you know, even just this week when I w- went into the water here in the North Sea, I was like, "Oh, that is cold." But I'm <laughs> gonna go with experiencing the cold, feeling it, just mm. actually let myself feel it. And when you don't resist it so much, you let yourself feel it. It's actually not as bad. And then after a while, that feeling goes away anyway. You, mm. you get this sort of, in, sort of high sort of thing that we talk about.
2: Yeah. Before you finish up, I have to put you in the spot because in this one, there's over 100 amazing locations. But, you know, you've uh, covered off now uh, all of the nations, Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. If you had one place where you would shrink those bits or go for a dip, where would it be? Anna First.
7: Oh, that's too difficult. Come on, I mean, come every, on. Every place. Well, mm, I think I, I would like to explore Wales a bit more, actually. Okay. Um, I'd like to go to Snowdonia um, and explore uh, that national park. Oh, I yes. don't know it very well. Yeah. But, you know, we live we live in Scotland. So for me, the highlands of Scotland, the Cairngorms and the beaches on the west coast with the turquoise sand, mm. absolutely stunning. But there's so many places in Ireland. Yes. Donegal. Yeah. Really yeah. keen to go Donegal. There's so many, so many places. I can't choose. No way. Oh, so
2: you can't <laughs> choose, Vicky? Can you do any better?
7: Well, I
6: don't know. Like, I mean, the things I love islands in Scotland. And so the thing that I really felt when I was doing this book in Ireland was that I really wanted to go to the Aran Islands. I kept thinking, I really want to go there. I must go there sometime and do and do some of the swims that we have mentioned in the book there.
2: I've been. It's beautiful. Do try and do that yourself. You will love it. I promise. To finish today, I just want to say this to both of you. You see this wee book and it's outstanding. I would say to anybody here in Ireland, if you want a Bible, the Bible about wild swimming, this is it. It has everything. It has the locations, the advice and so much more beside. You've done a wonderful job, ladies.
7: Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you both for joining me on the show and happy swimming.
7: Thank you. you. Happy swimming to you too. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye.
2: (laughs) Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. That's uh, Anna Deacon and Vicky Allen there. And I know it resonates with so many because wild swimming has become a huge thing. But uh, they've done a wonderful job there. Sunburst. On your late lunch. Thank God there's a sunburst somewhere this afternoon. I think Eamon Doyle's doing this to drive me mad and just get me thinking about all the rain again. Brian had wet, wet, wet yesterday. Eamon plays sunburst today. The only thing is, I had a gawk at the weather and it actually is to get a little better now from today on. Please, God, for the mid-term, the remainder of it, that people can get out and about. You must be cracking up if you're locked in with a gang today and trying to entertain them. Good luck to you. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. If you're just joining us on the show, you're very welcome to our show this afternoon. Anybody out there have a Ford Fiesta? Have you got a Ford Fiesta? Anyone driving a Ford Fiesta at the moment? You know they're finished. It was announced uh, yesterday that the discontinuing Ford Fiestas; there will be no more made from June next year. And I was thinking back to when the Fiesta first appeared, which, believe it or not, was 1976. Was the Mark One Fiesta? And how many have there been since? What do you think? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven versions. Of the Fiesta, 76, 83, 89, 95, 02, 08 and the most recent, 2017. And has anybody, uh, this is a long shot, uh, but I'm nearly sure I might have seen one recently. Has anyone still got a Mark 1 Ford Fiesta out there? The first one? Hardly. But something in my mind tells me I did spot one recently. Mark 1, the first version, or perhaps even the Mark 2 as 83, but the Mark 1, it was a breakthrough car. The first Super Mini of its kind. Huge change for Ford. And it is now probably the biggest selling, I think it is, the biggest selling car ever in the UK for them. And they've sold, listen to this, 22 million plus worldwide. But it's all over from next June. We had two of them. And Miriam had two of them. And they're a lovely wee car, I have to say. But, but they're gone now. They're over. There's a big shift in the type of car that people are driving. Anyone by chance, no anyone, Has a Mark 1 Ford Fiesta. Would there be anybody out there? 76, they came out and the Mark 1 ran from 76 to 83. 086, uh, 1800, 658. If you have one, picture, WhatsApp in a picture. Or maybe you have one uh, yourself, you know what I mean? I haven't got the WhatsApp phone here. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, WhatsApp it into us, and and if you have a picture of it, Eamon, Eamon, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I see what you're saying. Eamon Doyle. Sorry, Eamon, has sent me in a picture of a 19. Let me see. That's an 87 Fiesta, and the LMFM sticker on the back window. The old stickers, Eamon. Yes, I see it there. Two actually LMFM stickers on the window. That was an 87. So that was the Mark II. The Mark II Fiesta. A 1.1 litre Fiesta L in white. Can I read out the registration name? Am I allowed it? (laughs) 87 MH it is. uh, 19. And I won't read out the rest of it. Anyway there is a, thanks Eamon on the ball as usual there's a Fiesta a Mark 2 anyone got a Mark 1 Ford Fiesta or know of anyone who has one or if you have a picture 086 1800 658 whatsapp and interest or text me either if you have one or you know someone has one but it's all over for the Fiesta curtains down no more from 2023 short break on late lunch and afterwards it's one of our regulars it's Dr Kate McCann time for one of our regulars on late lunch always delighted to talk to her and today we're focusing on men's health. Dr. Kate McCann, MDoc Health. Hello again. Hi. Ah, yes, I have you there now. Thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show. Men's health, appropriate this month. November, big focus, Kate.
8: Yeah, so there's two things that really highlight men's health in November, so it's worth talking about. Um, And the the first a lot of Irish people are doing is the Movember campaign, um, where, you know, either you're a man growing a beard or you're a woman living with a man attempting to grow his most epic beard or mustache um, and this month to raise uh, awareness and funds for men's health or and um, then on the 19th of November we have international men's day mm. and part of international men's day of course focuses on health.
2: Uh, A lot of women would say, sure, every day is International Man's Day, Kate. And uh, well, I'm only being facetious there, but you know yourself. (coughs) But it is important to have a day to focus on this. I I was reading, you know, your thoughts on this, which you sent to me uh, in recent (coughs) days. And, you know, as a man, Kate, I (coughs) look at this and I think, oh, my God, we're walking disasters, are we?
8: No, but I think it's really important. Yeah, yes, I would consider myself a feminist. And so I understand women say really we need an International Men's Day, but it, it is really to highlight some of the disparities mm. um in, in men's health. And one of it is, is that men simply don't live as long as women. Um and that, you know, there and that when it comes to things like um cardiovascular risks of heart disease, um things like suicide the rates in men are much, much higher. And in much of this, we're talking about suicide, we're talking about cardiovascular risk. There are steps that we should be talking about that may reduce reduce these risks.
2: Four years is the difference in life expectancy between men and women, as you mentioned there. And I just wonder, is it the the way we live our lives? Let's talk about a couple of issues that are very important. Men are devils for not, you know, dealing with issues. If they feel a bump or a lump or they have a pain Mm. or... You know what I'm talking about. We've got to be more aware of our physical, and mental health, haven't we?
8: We do. And it, and it starts um, and it starts at a young age. And that's why when we talk about International Men's Day, we actually include boys International Men's yeah. Day. because and, and this is where I, I really want to write about this because I'm a mother of boys. And I'm actually laying that foundation now for them to learn that when they have a lump, when they have a bump, uh, when something's not right mentally, physically, that it's okay to ask for help. That the doctor is a great place to go, and that's where we start. Or, um, or with our family, and we we ask and we talk. And you know, opening these things up and having these discussions with our sons is really a, a fundamental way to change this pattern. And and it is a fact
2: because I, I mix in company with uh, fellas who are of an age now and pushing on. And I have to say, mm. you know, th- th- we're not great at, for. I, I'm, a, I, I'm the worst in the world. I, 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 and any sign of anything, I'm with the doc. I'm probably the other way, Kate, to be honest with you. I put my cards on the table today. My wife often says to me, oh my God, you're not going again. But I mix in companies and different companies with uh. men who, you know, would never think of having the cholesterol checked, having mm. a blood test. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? But when you're over 50, really, it should be an MOT every year.
8: On average, yes. I mean, it does vary. There's there's different things for different people. But as uh, a rule, if you're an, a man over 50 and you can't remember the last time you went to the GP, um, if you actually don't even remember what your GP's name is. And I, you know, I've sometimes met that in, in hospital. I've I've met that men, I've asked them, you know, who their GP was or when they got that blood pressure last checked, they actually say to me, you know, I think my GP retired about 10 years ago. I haven't actually seen him Mm -hmm. (laughs) or they don't even remember his name. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing in a way it kind of is because it means that things like, um, you know, cholesterol, blood pressure, um, checking for that prostate, all those things that kind of just need to be at least talked about, Um, you know, screenings for diabetes might be appropriate for some patients. And all those things that just can be done in a yearly checkup. Um, it, that's one of the that's one of the kind of easy things to do is just book yourself in and, um, in, and learn your doctor's name. <laughs> exactly.
2: And, and, you know, you're right. A blood test and prostate is a big one as well. You know, a, a mm. simple blood test can raise a, an alarm bell, which could save your life. Ultimately, the other thing is it's an easy thing to check your testicles, isn't it? It doesn't take much, but mm. you should be keeping a good eye there, too.
8: Yeah, now this is the younger men now. So yes. Testicular, yes, yes. Yeah, testicular cancer is the commonest cancer in men under the age of 45 in Ireland. Now, as cancers go, it's still fairly rare. It's only just under 200 men a year are diagnosed. But it's one of those things we, we want to identify early. So the the recommendation is that men under the age of 45 should be um, checking themselves. Usually we say in the shower is a good time to do it. Check themselves around once a month, if there's any kind of lump, bump. Ache or heaviness, um, then to pop into the doctor sooner rather than later. This isn't one you want to put off for a couple of months. You want to make an appointment, you know, quite soon after that.
2: And it's eminently treatable once it's Mm -hmm. discovered early. The other thing is, let's talk about uh, obesity for a moment, because in terms of obesity, figures are are shocking. Roughly uh, two out of every three, 66 percent of men, whether you like it or not, boys, um, are overweight and some morbidly overweight. Yet referrals for men in this area compared to women are way down, aren't they?
8: yeah now this one I actually was unprepared for. I got requested um about a month ago to write a piece on men and obesity in Ireland for um you know for for a a small journal article and i, I kind of soon started thinking about it I really think oh, most of my patients are women and so I did a quick look at some stats. I compared my stats irish stats u k stats, and found out that only around ten percent of the patients referred to Obesity services, whether it's bariatric uh, surgery or obesity medicine services, it's around 10%. Mm. So 90% of the patients referred to these services are women, even though obesity is more common in men.
2: The other startling figure that you've sent to me, and it jumps off the page, is when it Mm. comes to suicide. And when Mm. you talk about suicide in Ireland, an annual figure recently, 399 suicides. Out of the 399, Mm -hmm. 302 were men.
8: Yes. Um, when I know we just came out of World Mental Health Month, so there's been a lot of talk about our, our mental health and what steps we can do about our mental health. But it is something to be aware that that, you know, that men are at much, much higher risk. So if and, you know and one of the things we really, really encourage, we're talking about steps to what are two of the most important is you encourage men of all age to be involved in their community in a group, a club, something, you need that social connection. Mm. And then when you're in that that social connection, is to have open ears, to listen to the, the men around you, who, you know, because men are very, very slow to, to ask for help, they're very, very slow to share. Again, that's very much a generalization, mm. but we do uh-huh. know that statistically, it is less likely among men than women, you know, but each man is different. But listening to the men around you can be really important.
2: Now, I l- love a pint like the next man or, mm. or a woman perhaps as well, of course. Uh, but alcohol consumption is one you've mentioned to me in, in the past, but there's no harm mm. in focusing on it again today. W- what's the rule of thumb? What's safe?
8: So it can vary. But we, we, when, um, when I'm talking to patients, um, we do want to talk about low risk drinking. So that's drinking at a level where we're, unlikely to cause any physical harm or any other type of harm uh, around us. Um, so, it's, and so it's 11 units a week for women it's, and 17 units a week for men. It doesn't seem fair, but it just it is a biological difference in how our livers metabolize alcohol, whether you're a man or woman. It's mm. not fair, but it is biology. So with men, we say for it to be a low risk, it should be having less than, uh, fewer than 17 units per week and then fewer than six of those in one sitting. So if you're sitting down pub for the night, you should have the max should be six units. What most people really don't realize is how small a unit is. One pint is two units, mm. which kind of means that on a night out, three after three pints, you're hitting into a, a point at which your alcohol intake is putting your health at risk. And we have the other phenomena in Ireland, which is a growing trend, which is the binge drinking. So I have a patient, I ask them, I say, do you drink? They, oh, no, no, I rarely drink. But when we get down to it, they really drink about three days a week. But when they go out, they really drink. They're mm. drinking, you know, an excess of much as, you know, 20 units in one night. Yes. Um. But even though they have a huge amount of alcohol three days in between, we do know that that binge drinking is just as harmful as daily excessive. Thinking.
2: So you can't say say seventeen units is about eight and a half pints. You can't say I'll go out tonight and have me eight pints and I'll do nothing for the next six days. You're still causing harm.
8: You are, and I think that's one of the messages to get across because the, of the binge of the binge drinking pattern in Ireland. And in some studies, as 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 many as one in four Irish people have some binge drinking behavior, but it's predominantly um more more men than women in the studies that have been done
2: the last area to cover uh, today is domestic violence and assault mm. and generally it's you know perpetrated on women a far greater number but yes. there is a percentage of men that suffer in this area and really it's something that you shouldn't suffer in silence
8: no so there is an organization called men's aid they do keep statistics um, and so, their latest year that they have statistics available for is there was eight thousand calls um, with the for domestic violence to men's age. and um, and that and the numbers in twenty twenty two are showed that that trend's actually increasing. Um, so men men can be victims of of domestic violence. Men can also be victims of sexual assault. Um, so it's it's definitely one of those things that um, we we. Again, we know that women suffer in much greater numbers, but we also need to just be aware and be open to those conversations for those men who, who are victims and make sure that they know that there are supports out there.
2: Terrific, Kate, as usual. Highlighting uh, for men their issues of health across the board and great advice as usual. Doc Health, that's E-M-D-O-C Health. Check Dr Kate McCann out. Until the next time, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jerry. Have a great day. You too. That's uh, Dr. Kate McCann there, our doc on Late Lunch. Our good friend Anthony Murphy from Mythical Ireland headed off on his first family holiday on Bank Holiday Monday just gone by, headed down south in Ireland. Just before coming on air, I caught up with him because, you see, all hasn't gone to plan.
4: We had a bit of a detour, shall we say, on our way down the M8 motorway about two and a half hours into the journey. My van encountered a problem and it was starting to behave sluggishly and I couldn't get it to, to go over 100k and actually it dropped down a bit more. So I come off the motorway, rang the AA, they sent a guy out. We were about four hours sitting in the car in a car park in the services at Cashel waiting for the AA because it being a bank holiday and it being a very wet day and a lot of roads were flooded. He, he he took a long time to get to us and we were glad that we were able to get coffee and use toilets and stuff so uh, he said that there was a problem with the car that he said he recommended we didn't drive it anymore and oh it turned into shall we say it turned into a bit of a fiasco um we were heading to Kinsale but we didn't get to Kinsale we ended up having to book into a hotel in, in Cashel for the night on Monday um the rental car, the replacement car, um, we, we the only uh, availability was in Waterford, and we we had to get the Waterford to pick up the car. They couldn't deliver it to us, um, so I just no, just just this is not going to happen. So we bedded down in Cashville for the night, um, and I I got the, the replacement car delivered then yesterday uh, before noon, um, and finally got on the road and finally arrived in Kinsale, 25 hours after having left Rada.
2: Okay, so five of you all together. That was really an ordeal and a half. But people were very good to you, weren't they? The casual people, they, you know, found rooms for you and you had a comfortable night there.
4: Well, if if there's one thing that has come out of this, you see, I shared a post about this on Facebook yesterday. I suppose, Jerry, out of sheer frustration at what I had been through, And just to advise your viewers, should I say your listeners, you know, if you're planning to make a long journey across Ireland, especially on a bank holiday, just to be aware that it really doesn't matter what level of coverage you have with AA or your Ford assistance or whatever. They're only able to do so much on a bank holiday. So if you're planning and even if you're driving a fancy car and a nice car, uh, sometimes things happen. Uh, And just to be aware of that. But no, what really has come out of this is the extraordinary uh, humanity and the wonderful gestures of assistance and support that have come from all quarters. So I want to single out a man called Cornelius. I think the name of the B&B that we rang uh, was Rockville House in Cashel. Now, he had no rooms available. But I I told him the predicament that we were in and he immediately offered to give us his car to complete our journey. And I just thought, extraordinary. The man doesn't know me from Adam. He doesn't know who I am. He just heard the situation I was in and immediately offered me the use of his car. Now, I declined on the basis that... It was a very, very wet day. Roads were flooded. It was nighttime, and I really didn't want to complete the journey in a strange car. So I said, listen, that's extraordinarily nice of you, but I think I'll just bed down in Cashel, and we booked into uh, Bailey's Hotel, where Lisa was very accommodating at short notice and got us two rooms. And, uh, yeah, the people of Cashel uh, are extraordinarily nice. The man who picked up the van um, and still has it in storage have been very helpful in trying to get me sorted out with getting it fixed but then the amount of people friends family and people I don't know Jerry saying I'll come down to Garrettstown which is near Kinsale we'll come down there on Friday and bring you home uh, people have, have offered to drive across the country to come and get us people have offered us the use of a car I've one lady who said she'd get the insurance on her car transferred so that we could have a car have another lady in Dundalk who I only ever met once in my life who said I have a car that you can have for as long as you need it. I just was completely blown away by the ordinary people you know the authorities could help only to a certain extent you know in terms of getting the car towed and in terms of what they would cover and what they wouldn't cover and that was frustrating but certainly what has made up for the frustration and I suppose the slight nightmare of the scenario where we were supposed to be down here on Monday and it tur- turns out we didn't get here till Tuesday. Look, that's we can live with that. That's something we look back on and say that was a bit of an experience. But certainly the thing that comes out of it is just the wonderful, wonderful warmth and support and friendship from people who I know very well and then even people who I don't know at all. It's extraordinary. I think I have about 12 to 15 people who will either give me a car or who will come and pick us up on Friday and bring us back to Drogheda. It's just, it's. I'm amazed and I'm, I'm a- absolutely glowing with gratitude to know that despite everything that's going on in the world and despite inflation and war and oil prices and all the things that are going on in the world, that there are still very, very good, ordinary, decent people willing to go the extra mile to help somebody in distress. It's just been totally uplifting.
2: And, you know, that is the nub of this story. But I have to ask you this. Are you going to need them by Friday, Anthony? Because it's still uncertain there is somebody going to look at your own car and that's great that's a development in the last few hours that will happen but uh, take it that if if that doesn't work out that the repair can be effected you still have a vehicle down you know midway down the country or near the south of the country that you have to get back home and get attended to your car yeah. hire runs out uh, is it tomorrow on thursday tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, so yeah. where where do you stand today what do you
4: well right now there's light at the end of the tunnel uh, jerry in that my my van is being looked at today. I was initially told uh, there would be no possibility that it could be looked at before the middle of next week, which was absolutely no use to me. There's a very helpful man in Cashel. Uh, Robbie is his name. He's looking at the van today. He's going to see what what's wrong. It sounds like it might just be a temperature sensor and that there's actually nothing physically wrong with the van, which would be a great outcome. But what I do know is this. One way or another we will get from Cork home to Drogheda on Friday, whether it be in our own van, whether it be in a replacement car, whether it's a a lift from a, a friend or a stranger. We absolutely are not going to be stuck. And if that's one thing that comes out of this, as I said, it's just the extraordinary generosity of ordinary people. They're just fabulous. Some of these, by the way, are mythical Ireland followers, people who I wouldn't know except for my Mythical Ireland activities online. People who listen to my live streams, who read my books, who follow my Facebook page, who literally reach out and say, don't be stuck, we'll come and get you. And even though we're in X, Y and Z county, and it's a two or three hour journey for us to get there, no problem, we'll come and get you. So I know absolutely that we'll get home on Friday. I just don't know how we'll get home but there's so many offers. It surprised me, but in a very, very delightful way.
2: What a wonderful story. Heartening, isn't it? And Anthony, well done to you. Thanks for chatting to us on Late Lunch this afternoon. What a tale. The Late Lunch
1: Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week.
2: Yes, Lewis Capaldi is my Artist of the Week this week. And picking up the story from yesterday, 2017 was the year Capaldi introduced himself to the world. His first track from his debut EP called Bruises was played... 28 million times on Spotify in a matter of days. Phenomenal, isn't it? He was immediately signed by all of Universal, EMI, and Capitol Records to distribute his music all over the world. He supported the likes of Rag and Bone Man, Nile Horn, and Sam Smith on their tours and went down an absolute storm. So much so, he sold out his own solo tour across the UK and Europe in 2018, playing to, to sold out capacity audiences absolutely everywhere. He was also in demand on the festival circuit and now appearing regularly on BBC Radio 1's most featured playlists into 2019 and his breakthrough single, Someone You Love, topped the charts in 29 countries, spending seven weeks at number one in the UK. I'm keeping it till Friday, that one. I just love it. His debut album, uh, Divinely Inspired, spent five weeks as well, top of the album charts in the UK. was the biggest selling LP in five years. In the United Kingdom And just before the release of the album He sold, listen to this A quarter of a million tickets In minutes ahead of an arena tour Which would take place in 2020 Right up to date today With my song which came in straight at number one In September of this year His first release in three years From his forthcoming second studio album Called Broken by Desire To be Heavenly Sent What a name Yes, it's the Love Lament Forget me
4: days, aching nights, a long two years, and still you know gone. Guess I'm still
5: holding on across your mind, baby. Oh,
2: but uh, after all, it still right. Me to find out you know how to forget, oh, isn't he just something else?
5: After all, this time.
2: Lewis Capaldi my artist of the week on Late Lunch all this week what a talent what a man more about him in words and song round about this time tomorrow now does uh, my son take sugar the brilliant Edna Ring top of the show telling us her story of being pregnant in 1984 and our baby being taken away and meeting uh, him again years years later the book's going to Fiona Murphy in Loud this afternoon thank you to everybody I got loads of messages people really enjoyed the chat as well thank you so much for your kind words I really do appreciate it and just as an aside we spoke to David McAvoy if you remember on late lunch last week about the whole bird flu situation and his turkeys for Christmas I just eat today Well, we're ahead of the game, of course. He he was concerned about it, but not that concerned. But all poultry have to be brought indoors now. Immediately, the government have issued an edict indoors with everything to protect from board flu. Thinking of your Christmas dinner and all the free-range chickens and that as well. It is an issue, but that's just uh, news emerging today. You may recall on Friday last here in Late Lunch, John Gilroy from At Boy spoke to us about Halloween and the history of Halloween and its big connections with County Meath. Well John has many strings to his bow. He's a former senator and he's been out lately in the Ukraine in a suburb of Kiev uh, looking at the situation there and he's come back and he wants to help because he knows with the knocking out of power especially in Ukraine by the Russians at the moment it's going to be a long cold winter. He has a group called For Ukraine and he's looking for blankets, bed and other such to be shipped out as soon as possible and his appeal hasn't fallen on deaf ears because father and daughter John and Cheryl O'Dwyer from County Meath are on the line with me and they're going to row in behind uh, the uh, the other Meath man Welcome to the show John and Cheryl
9: Thank you Jerry. it's great to be on it and thanks for having us
2: Not at all, you're both very welcome to the show John, where did you pick up on this? You know, you, you, you heard the story and, and why do you want to get behind it?
9: Well, the pickup came from my daughter, Gerry. I hadn't seen uh, your researcher, Louise, done a lovely piece for John, and it was published on your webpage. Yep. My daughter saw it and was taken by it. It's such a simple request when you think about it, that people may die in hospital because of cold, where the temperatures are expected to drop to minus 20 and below in late December, early January. And as you mentioned, John Gilroy had been out there. John is a former psychiatric nurse. Now, he's been doing a lot of work for Ukraine since the war started. He's already shipped out lots of hospital supplies and other goods. And he has a direct relationship with this little suburb you mentioned. It's Borodienka. It's about the same size as Kells. And he has a relationship with the mayor and the people in charge of the hospital. So anything he collects... Is delivered to the people who need it. Nothing goes missing on the black market. It doesn't go astray. And that's a great bonus because Anton John does then is delivered on the ground where it's, uh, where it's needed. But I mentioned, Cheryl, I I haven't been talking to Cheryl this morning, so hello, Cheryl.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you are, the magic of radio, you're in touch here. Cheryl, thank you for joining me on on the show. Hey, Cheryl, this is a great opportunity. You know the way, and I can speak from my own home as well, where stuff is stored away and put in the hot presses, maybe in attics and uh, different places, and and it stays there for years and years. This is an opportunity, Cheryl, isn't it, to use that and uh, get it to people who really need it?
10: Absolutely, um, and I'm a great one for decluttering, or, well, I suppose, gathering and then looking to declutter. So rather than usual, our usual haunts of the local charity shop, um, we plenty of us have the old wool blankets which we don't want to use anymore because we might replace it with the, the duvet, but they now can be shipped out or, or, or being put to good use. Mm. Uh, for me, when I saw it, um my initial reaction was, To do with the cold, we're all being affected by the cold here in Ireland and our electricity bills are going up. But for me to think that people wouldn't have any electricity at all and that choice of warmth is taken away from them and that they're completely reliant on help, um, straight away that just struck with me. And Mm. then also then to think, well, what could I do? So where I messaged Dad initially was an idea that maybe I could even purchase blankets, sleeping bags, anything that might be needed in lieu of Christmas presents this year. Um, to be able to give to somebody else rather than buying maybe stuff that uh, people might necessarily need or want. Um, to make sure I'm giving to somebody who
2: does really need something. Oh, So that I is so I touching, that. Cheryl.
10: Uh, it's, well, I suppose I reached out to make sure I could get permission from the folks. i <laughs> would <laughs> 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 so be happy so that my kids and I would do this. Yes. Um and um, I reached out to Dad, and firstly it was that, but also then to see if Dad knew uh, John Gilroy, because
5: mm. Dad knows everybody. <laughs> um,
10: and just to make sure it was above board as well, you know, that we yes. so many things kind of going around at the moment. So I wanted to make sure it was genuine. Mm.
2: And it I mean, absolutely Dad, what is. What Dad
10: does, and he just took over, and he yeah. saw a bigger picture, and thought that we could do so much more than just... I
2: won't little bit. So, look, Cheryl, you're looking for bedding, sleeping bags, pillows, all that type of stuff, is it?
10: Yeah, so it's, it's sleeping bags, it's duvets, but with covers on them. Yeah. Um, so if you have pillows with covers on them, uh, towels as well, um, and blankets.
2: I Anything like that. like that, folks, if you're listening to us today, and it will go straight directly, as you heard there from John, to the people in need in this suburb of Kiev. So with this in mind, John, Gibstown Hall is the venue, isn't it, this Saturday?
9: Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're starting from scratch, Jerry, and we're so thankful to you to try and get the message out there because I'd be asking people in other areas that might get involved and act as uh, local organisers or collection points but we will open Gipstown Hall between 11 and 2 next Saturday. And we will do it every other Saturday as well. And if it needs to be done more often, we'll certainly do that. But I, I will arrange to store anything that's donated or gathered at Gipstown Hall. And I'd also undertake to have it delivered to Cork. It has to be in Cork for the 26th of November. That's when they're loading their lorries. And just also, we going I just highlight, in relation to the bedding, the bedding is very important. We're looking for warm, good quality bedding, but also... The hospitals concerned are psychiatric hospitals and most people would know uh, a lot of people are not confined to bed in psychiatric and they they do wander a bit. So John is also asking if anybody has any good quality winter type coats that they would be very very beneficial. They'll act for walking around but they'll also act as like we did in the old days um, the bull's wool blanket on top of the bed when when the the heating was turned down. (laughs) It's an opportunity, I just hope that other people would feel the same way and get involved. Um, there is a registered charity that works in coordination with John as well. So if anybody wants to make a nice, sizable donation, we can arrange for a charitable receipt so it would benefit their tax returns. And there's also a Blankets for Ukraine Hospital's GoFundMe page that John set up. It's, a, it's active at the moment. But look, really, if there's anyone out there that wants to contact me that might think they could help in another area, um, my number is 86 3817626 and you'll also get further information on the Gigston Drive and Bingo page. And again, Jerry, thank you so much for helping us with this.
2: Not at all. We're delighted to be a conduit for this because anything we can do, I I see we see it on our TV, we listen to the radio here, we understand online as well what's happening. They're knocking out power supplies. People are going to freeze over there. Minus 20 and anything we can do, it's all so welcome. It really is. And John, you're great, I have to say, yourself and Cheryl to get involved in this. I want to remind listeners again, Gibbs Town Hall this Saturday, the 5th of November from 11 to 2 John O'Dwyer's number 086 381 7626 we have that number here off the LMFM main number if you want to call us we'll put you in touch as well you're fantastic people and what you do will mean so much to those people in Ukraine it really will thank you both for joining me today thank,
9: thank you Jerry. Thank you. and maybe before the end of the month I'll come back and give you a message. yes absolutely you'd be
2: absolutely welcome for sure good luck to both of you thank you Cheryl thank you John Thanks, Mike. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. They're great people, aren't they? Do what you can, folks, for them. We have the number there, Gibbstown Hall, uh, this Saturday, eleven to two. Tomorrow, on late lunch, going without social media for the month of November. A local young woman in business with a A family as well has decided to jack it for the month of November. We're going to have a good chat with her tomorrow. And uh, a GAA club in Taiwan with Big Mead connections. Yes, and more besides on Late Lunch. That's a taster for Thursday. Coming up uh, on LMFM now, Eddie Caffrey's here with The Drive and more besides. Stay with us on your favourite local radio station. And we will be back tomorrow afternoon at 1.30. Big thank you to Eamon Doyle who guided me safely through the last couple of hours today. Stay with us here on your number one station. See you tomorrow at LMFM lm LM-FM
1: Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on
0: 087-660-4237. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.